Adams, Adamly, Adamowski, Bueller, Burns, Burns, Burns. It's time for school, Rock School, with your hosts, Dr. Joe Burns. Is it the wood? Is it the design? Is it the hole? I mean, are, are you constantly chasing the holy grail of sound? Boy, that, that question has so many avenues to go down. Let's because, chase a few. Yeah, let's do it. Class is in. This is the Rock School Radio Show. My name is Joe Burns. We're here on the Rock School Radio Network, and we're in the midst of our summer shows, the extended shows. This is number four of four, four interviews this time around, and I've saved a real gem for the last one. Greg Rich is our guest today. Greg Rich is right now the designer at Recording King, and I say right now because he's worked for Rickenbacker, he has worked for National, and he has worked for Gibson, and that's only a very short list. He's also got other guitar companies on a resume that's as long as your arm. He is an artist, or so he calls himself. I keep calling him a designer. He keeps calling himself an artist. And if you see some of the guitars that he has created, feel free to Google his name, Rich, as in I have a lot of money. He has put together some things that will just blow your mind. So for an hour today, we're going to talk about guitars. We're going to talk about what makes them sound the way they do. And he's going to talk about some advancements that seem to be on the horizon. And one of them has to do with actually baking an instrument you know like a cake it's a weird world man and greg's gonna show us into it got him for an hour today greg rich on the rock school radio show this is greg rich designer for recording king guitars and earlier on uh, gibson guitars and uh, i'm happy that uh, i got a chance to talk to you for what will be an hour here on the radio greg thanks for coming on the radio show uh, you're, you're certainly welcome glad to be here hey let me ask you about uh, the the company that you work for right now recording king guitars the uh, the company recording king was a uh, uh, as I remember, a Montgomery Ward guitar for a while back. Was it pre-war all the way back then? Right. O- originally, it was the house brand for Montgomery Ward. And one of the manufacturers for Recording King was Gibson Guitars originally. Mm-hmm. So some of the really nice Recording Kings that were done back then were actual just Gibsons. In this world now that we got this sea of import guitars, what what sets aside recording king guitars? What uh, what words or little phrases would you use to do that? Well, okay, that's interesting because let's say you're you're a U.S. manufacturer and you want to develop an import line of guitars, which pretty much everybody does. You you have two choices: you either build your own factory over in China, or own one. Um, or you go to an existing manufacturer, like everybody does, and just have your, your instrument made. 
if you go to an existing manufacturer, you really don't get control of your product. In other words, they have existing lines of guitars. Now you can go in and put your headstock shape on it, your logo, to extend some coloring, finishing changes, and some hardware upgrades. But when you put that model next to your competitor's model, they're basically the same instrument. Recording King is totally different because we own our own factory over there. And that's why when you really look at Recording Kings, you pick them up and you'll play them, you're going to notice that we do everything on Recording King. We manufacture every part about the instrument. Necks, tops, braces, we put it together in our factory, we finish it in our factory, we quality control it in our factory. So our instrument, and we don't build for other you know, brands. So only Recording King and Lore instruments are built at our own factories. And I think when you look at the specifications and pricing, that's a big difference than, than our competitors. idea of designing a guitar and this is kind of where i want to pick your brain you can buy today you know i i don't know how many but at last count i did a, a speech not too long ago and i was able to find over 200 manufacturers of guitars if you take both acoustic and uh, electric into account in terms of the design of the guitar you can get you know just about anything you want so let me ask you this, as a designer, what exactly makes a guitar? Is it, you know, the is it the wood? Is it the design? Is it the hole? I mean, are are you constantly chasing the holy grail of sound? Boy, that that question has so many avenues to go down. Let's because, chase a few. Yeah, let's do it. Let's just start with guitars of historic relevance you know if you are a manufacturer today trying to duplicate an instrument of the past that say a martinesque or a gibsonish style instrument then not only does the designer today have to know the history of those old instruments you know they have to know how to build them the kind of woods that went into them the appointments that went into them and then they have to get their new company convinced that they can build a guitar similar or as close as possible by today's standards or materials that are available to compete. How do you compete? Well, are you competing in the same dollar range? Are you competing in a new market for uh, lesser dollars? I mean, it's just, it's endless what the designer or what a designer has to work with today. And a designer can't really work without the whole team working with them. For, for instance, when I design a guitar, yeah, we, we have a whole team that works in there, starting with the owner, uh, Steve Petrino, our production manager, Travis Affs, our sales team has input. And we all sit down and we think about a guitar that we want to build. Then we go through some concept sketches or designs I'll do. And then it gets narrowed down even more to price points, what's available, what kind of finish, what's the bridge, tuning keys. 
it's so many variations that go into each and every design that we do. Well, I quit my job down at the car wash, left my mama a goodbye note. By sundown, I left Kingston with my guitar up under my coat. I hitchhiked all the way down the bar. When I hear people talk about guitars and guitarists, you know, you sit down at any guitar center while guitarists are sitting around playing and you get them talking, you get the people that are, well, it's got to be a maple fingerboard. Well, it's got to be a, a rosewood fingerboard. Oh, well, no, this is a spruce top. No, no, this is a this is a what have you top. Right. Does does the wood matter as much as people are saying or is it the age of the wood or is it how it's cut i mean again am i taking you down an avenue that's unfair well no 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 that's good because let's let's break down the consumer first of all you have consumers that are first-time buyers who know absolutely nothing about an instrument so when they go into a store they have maybe a budget of a hundred dollars or let's just say a hundred dollars to spend on an instrument well to them it it what might draw them is how does it look hanging on the wall is it a good looking instrument is it eye appealing to them if you can get them to pick up that hundred dollar instrument and they can play it in other words it frets good it notes good it tunes good well then that hundred dollar guitar might be exactly what what they need to start with now, to a, a player who's a novice or, a, or an intermediate level guitar player, he's already got some preconceived notions in his head. Well, I like an ebony fingerboard. I want a solid spruce top. You know, I, I don't, I want a nitrocellulose lacquer finish, not a poly finish. So he has a different budget, a different sound in mind, as does the pro, you know, level teacher. Every, I, I don't like to categorize, say, one thing works for anybody. It's what works for you as an individual, as a player. Does the guitar or instrument fit your personal needs and budget? Right. I've uh, I've heard it said, this is not my quote, and I don't remember where I got it, but I've heard it said, when you go to buy a guitar, don't go in there with it in your head. I must buy a Fender. I must buy a, a Recording King. I must buy a Gibson. Let the guitar come to you. It, it, I, I agree 100% with that. I, I'm the first person, even though... I design for Recording King. I will tell people, go down, sit down with a bunch of guitars. I don't care what name is on the headstock. The right one will come to you when you're playing. That's that's really the best advice I have. And if that instrument is less money than that big brand name, go for it. Yeah. yeah. I had a, I had a discussion with a guy one time that uh, was jaw-dropping. He made the statement that um, in terms of acoustic guitars, he said, no, no, the body size on a Martin is just simply too small, which, you know, I my jaw hit the floor and came back up. Right. But, well, which, which, which body size? An O size, a triple O? A well, well, that was the thing. He liked those Gibsons that have, a, you know, a body size large enough to, you know, paddle a canoe. Right, a, a big jumbo J200. Sure, right, sure. and that was his thing. If it doesn't have yeah. a body size large enough to, you know, sail across the ocean, it's right. not an acoustic. So to him, right. that's what mattered. Right. There, There is no set standard. For a player, I I like to think that uh, 
musicians, you know, really dedicated musicians develop a an ear for all kinds of instruments. Uh, this style of finger picking, oh, I like a little single O parlor guitar. Uh, for when I'm doing rhythm work, boy, I really like a D18, uh, you know, Dreadnought. Or, you know, I, or for just playing some funky rhythm stuff, boy, I sure do like an archtop guitar. It, most musicians, and I'm sure you you know this, will own, you know, how many different instruments in their lifetime? I own 12. There you have it. It's yeah. a sickness. There's no getting over it. <laughs> <laughs> when when, uh, when my wife asks how many is enough, I, I, I haven't an answer for her. Uh, listen, I, I hide them under the bed, so I don't know. I just <laughs> <laughs> is, is there something under your bed? Yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, you get, you got to keep them stashed. And when she does discover it, I go, wow, that's weird. How did that instrument get there? <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> Let me go back to the actual design because this is—I mean, this is the thing that really interests me. I mean, I—I I make guitars out of kits and such, and yep. I put—I put, you know, uh, different pickups in guitars. Let me ask you a question again. I keep going back to your recording King guitars because that's where I okay. know you from. Okay. As a designer, and this may sound like I'm simply re-asking you the same question. Okay. Okay. In terms of making a guitar sound, I will sit and play an acoustic and it will go donk or I'll play mm -hmm. it and it won't have the it won't have the highs, anything like that. The reason I own your RD07 is because when I strummed it, it shimmered. I don't know what other word to use. I don't know how you uh -huh. take music and turn it into a word. What I mean, what well. as as a designer, what what happens that you take wood and turn it into that but that wood over there didn't do it yeah so what what you what we are talking about i think is mass-produced guitars yeah and <laughs> when, when you when you when we decide to build a production instrument we we figure out the specifications. What kind of wood is the top going to be? What's the what's the top variation thickness? What are the sides going to be? The binding, the fingerboard, and everything. And that guitar goes into production. And let's just say, oh, a hundred of them are produced, or two hundred and fifty of them produced. That doesn't mean that every one of those guitars is going to be, you know, an A plus sounding guitar. Because what we're really talking about is wood wood variation and and humans putting them together mm -hmm. and with that comes an incredible variation in sound so you can't just say that model that instrument is going to sound great no it, it it doesn't always sound great that's why that's why i tell people sit down if, if a certain model is what you want let's just say you want a gibson j200 sit down and play five or six of them if you have the chance Maybe only one of those is outstanding. Two might be really good, and maybe one's a dog. Who knows? Hmm. But it's still so, on the market. Somebody's going to buy the dog. Well, you know, the name means something for sure. 
And the price means something. If the instrument is priced right, there's always somebody for it. And just because you picked one that had a certain sound to it, the next guy might pick an instrument totally different than yours and go, no, I like this one. I like the more bottom end or kind of that drier sound in it. Time to take our first break here on the Rock School Radio Show. I want to remind you also to get us on Facebook. Search Rock School Radio Show and be sure to like us. I've posted links to a lot of the pictures of the guitars that Greg Rich has made. If you'd like to have your mind blown, by all means, go take a look at them. But first, make sure you like us. Again, Rock School Radio Show. Search us out on Facebook and make sure you like us. You really like us. Back in a minute on Rock School. We've mentioned Gibson, we've mentioned the J200 and all that. You were a designer at Gibson. Yes. That is, I mean, that's the name, man. That's when you think guitars, if you don't say Fender first, you're going to say Gibson first. Yeah, I I, uh, I tell you, that was an experience of a lifetime. I managed the uh, banjo division or was responsible for recreating all of their pre-war banjos. Later, I developed the custom art division, which was all the one-of-a-kind art pieces for Gibson. And I just got to meet, you know, that working at Gibson really, I just can't explain how great it was. It was uh, it was the most amazing uh, gig in the world to be able to build Gibson instruments. Yeah, I have to ask you, when you went to work every day, was there that you know, clouds part, single beam of light, D minor chord on the organ, I'm going to work at Gibson. Or did it become a job? Oh, boy. <laughs> at, at first, it was the most incredible job. I just can't explain. The people, the employees of Gibson Guitar, they they wanted to build the best instruments of the in the world. I mean, they were dedicated. They loved what they did. Unfortunately, uh, they would get ma- uh, plant managers in her in there that absolutely knew nothing about instruments. Their only requirement by the powers that be was to build so many instruments per day and get them out the door. Just hit the number. That's when it stops becoming fun, you know, and uh, it's just a grind every day to go to work for a company like that. And frankly... You know, it just got to be to the point where I just couldn't take it anymore. Hmm. I'm sitting in the Sheraton Gibson playing my Gibson. And boy, do I want to go home. I'm sitting in the Sheraton Gibson playing my Gibson. I wish you could home this time. As a designer, which I think is about my sixth question that has started okay. with, as okay. a designer, yeah, I, this is this is professional radio done while you wait. Um, <laughs> can you sit down anymore? Is it possible at this time in the world to design literally in free space? 
or is literally everything built off of something that came before it? Because I looked at every instrument that is on, you know, the Recording King, um, the Recording King website, and they all look like guitars. They're just bigger, smaller, yeah. fatter, thinner. Is, is, is there some, you're asking me, is there something new yet to be discovered? I yeah. don't think so. I no? Think, listen, I think George Gruen said it best. After the first guitar was made, everything after that is a copy. Hmm. I mean, let's let's face it. You know, you can change the body shape or the peghead shape or this this appointment, that appointment. You can put your own unique twist into the woods, the bracing, the uh, whatever, the aging process. But it's still a guitar. You know, did you do anything unique to it other than your personal tastes and preferences? I don't know. So I don't do I think of myself as a designer? Well, yes and no. It you know I don't think of myself as a designer creating brand new works of art for people, but just to redesign or to kind of reinvent what's already been done. Yeah, well, it might be the reason the person is trying to put this thing together. That's why we came up with the BC Rich. You know, someone's going to put an eye out with that guitar someday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right that's exactly it i mean all kinds of shapes they're they're taken to the extreme extreme paint jobs extreme graphics uh shapes that, that's all cool i mean it's it's whatever the market will bear at that particular time yeah Done guitars for Roy Rogers, and yeah. uh, you know he was always known to hold a Martin. But you've done work yeah. with him, uh, Dale Evans, Gene Autry, rock and roll guitarists here, Richie Sambora, obviously of uh, Bon Jovi, uh, the Hell's Angels, as in the a, a group, or is that literally you know Ralph Sonny Barger, Sonny Barger and the Hell's Angels? Yeah, the guy uh, who was I at would... Altamont. That's the same Hell's Angels, sure. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I got to know Sonny at uh, at the Phoenix Bike Week. I was there doing some engraving on some um, Harley Davidson motorcycles, and for the Hell's Angels, and up walks Sonny, and uh, the next thing you know, we're doing some uh, metal body guitar engraving, Sonny Barger guitars. It was pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. <laughs> you made a guitar for Sonny Barger. Uh, well, it was a it was a it was a Hell's it was a Sonny Barger signature guitar. I don't know if he got one or kept one, but they were uh, definitely um, you know Cave Creek chapter guitars. Uh, okay, you don't get to drop that and walk away. What did it look like? <laughs> <laughs> I gotta drop it right there. I could be in a lot. No, you can tell me what it looked like. Um, well, uh, they were they were basically uh, based on an Owens Resophonic guitar, which was a metal body, thin line guitar that uh, Richie Owens had developed for Zeta Music in Oakland. And I would just and I of course I did the uh, Sonny Barger sitting on the back of his motorcycle on the back with the flames coming up around them. They were all hand painted and engraved they were pretty wild oh i can imagine i'll god. send you some photos i'll oh, send god. you some photos greg you're killing me 
I mean, you're literally <laughs> killing me. You've also worked with Slash of Guns N' Roses. What did he want? Well, I don't, you know, like I said, that was Gibson stuff. So just working in the custom shop, you know, uh, helping to finish a guitar or do some artwork on, on a piece for him, that's, you know. Yeah. A lot, a lot of these people were Gibson clients, but they ran through the custom shop, which I worked at. So you're you're constantly working on pieces for for an artist. Was it never playability? I mean, did they never say I want a specific neck width or anything like that? Because oh, oh no, no, the, the real players, the true players who really knew the, had absolute specifics. And one of the best builders, I like to think, is is Phil Jones. As a matter of fact, he still works for Gibson Guitars, and he did some of the most amazing builds on electric guitars for these guys. And, you know, my, my, I had the simple job. I would just, you know, help out wherever they needed to. But, uh, yeah, the Gibson Custom Shop back in the 80s consisted of some of the most amazing builders who have gone on to become really great builders today. J.T. Rubeloff, Bill Jones, Matthew Klein, Jim Triggs. Um, it, they're pretty, pretty amazing people. In a little cabaret in a South Texas border town sat a boy and his guitar. And the thing that has always sort of ate at me, and I've always wondered about this because the, the most I've ever spent for a guitar, and it's acoustic, is $1,500. That's literally the most I've ever spent for a guitar. Right. And I've always wondered if, and, and I've, I've heard this from uh, the Scorpions. Uh, I'm trying to remember the lead guitars of the Scorpions, not Shanker, the other guy. And um, I've also heard it from Kiss that said they play off the wall a good bit because they want to make it so that, you know, the average player can say, look, if they can do it, I can do it too. And I've always wondered... If I spent $10,000 at Gibson and I had one set to all of these, you know, all of these perfect settings and such, would it be any better than if I spent two grand for something from Musician's Friend? Is it the instrument, Is it, or is it from the elbows uh, down? Well, first of all, uh, oh, brother. <laughs> yeah, did I hit you another one? <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. What you're asking for is a set of specifications on an instrument designed specifically for your personal playing. Mm -hmm. Is it would it make you play better? Well, if that instrument had all the dimensions and specs you wanted, maybe maybe you would play better, yeah. you know, because it's built exactly the way you want it. That uh that neck is profiled to fit your hand better. Uh, those frets are crowned a certain way. It's got the scale length you want, uh, string height. Well, of course, what that basically means is it's set up for you personally. True. You know, yeah. as opposed to pulling an instrument off a wall, which is basically what uh, is just referred to as a general production setup. And whatever that company decides uh, its standard is, is what you're going to get. Now, that doesn't mean you can't take that standard instrument to a really well-qualified luthier and have it dialed in and honed, you know, better 
and that's going to help your playing out a lot, for sure. Hmm. We need to take our second break here on the Rock School Radio Show. Greg Rich will be back in just a moment. First of all, we got to give our affiliates time to, well, give their people some time to speak. Back in a minute on Rock School. <laughs> talk banjos with you because okay. guitars you know i know guitars up down through but I, you know i don't know banjos i own one cumberland banjo that i traded for my compact disc collection this is my entire knowledge base okay <laughs> however i do happen to know you worked with earl scruggs maybe arguably the best instrumentalist on the instrument period what did you do with well, him well, uh, when I came to work for Gibson, uh, Gibson was already producing an Earl Scruggs signature model banjo, but it, it was not a it was not a high quality instrument. As a matter of fact, it was pretty much laughed at in the banjo community as far as a professional instrument. So my job as the supervisor for the bluegrass or the banjo division was to redo the entire banjo line and make it credible and one of those models happened to be the earl scruggs model so we had to completely you know kind of convince earl that that model was okay but let me show you a better banjo so we built a a new model earl scruggs showed it to him and uh, he played it and he he just that was it he loved it so (laughs) you know it's a Banjos are a really unique instrument. You have to really love them. You have to really know their history, their, their everything about them. Okay, I'm going to ask you a question which uh, was given to me by a, a mutual friend. Uh, you know, Dave, it's a mutual friend, so I'm going to I'm gonna hope that this isn't just a joke he was playing on me. Yeah, it's going to be a joke. Okay, go ahead. No, I bet this is true, but... He made the statement that you were given permission to take part, or at least the tone ring, of Earl Scruggs' banjo's tone ring, and have it analyzed, and that's what you use for your Recording King banjos. Is that true? That's true. How about that? So when I was at Gibson, we we had already developed a formula. It was taken from another original pre-war RB3 model, matter of fact which we were currently using in the banjos. But I had Earl's banjo all the time in the shop. And one weekend I was taking it home and I asked Earl, would you mind if I just, you know, when I'm pulling your banjo apart to take photos and adjust it for you, would you mind if I just scrape a little of the, the metal out and um, make us, you know, get a testing thing? Oh, yeah, sure. He, you know, he, he didn't care. He just whatever, you know. <laughs> so, you know, he was pretty cool. And uh, so I had that sample and really never, of course, I, I couldn't, I, I had it analyzed and uh, 
it wasn't really anything special, but I couldn't switch formulas and tone rings at when I was at Gibson because what was I going to tell people? I'm using the pre-war formula tone, but now I'm going to switch to this formula. So I just kept it all these years. And when I went to work for, or when Recording King got started, I decided, well, I'm going to pull that formula now and use it in the Recording King banjos. So that's what we did. It does kind of sound like tinfoil on the head. Yeah, you know, the formula is just one part of everything that has to do with the sound of a banjo. Is it the most important? Uh, It's just part of a combination of parts. Yeah, but it seems like you're putting together instruments that people really like. You have some serious, serious names that are playing the banjos you're putting together right now. Yeah, I would say Recording King is easily the fastest growing banjo company today. Easily. just at NAM not too long ago. What were the new things that you were pitching at NAM? Oh, well, you know, we've introduced the American Made line now in Recording King Banjos. Uh, one of the new guitars that I'm really excited about is the new Torrified Top um, line of guitars. So that is taking uh, Adirondack and it's, and it's gone through a torrification process where it's actually they cook the top of it and then uh, wait, wait, I don't know. Wait, 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 wait. They cooked. It's it's the top, a, right? it's it's called torpification. It's put into a kiln. All the air is sucked out. It's heated to a certain degree. It kind of burns out the impurities in the spruce, and it only works on Adirondack uh, red spruce. The result is when you put your guitar together, you get this incredibly. Uh, man, I can't explain it, but it it really does sound like the guitar is 30 years old, um, <laughs> brand new. You're nuts. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but, you know, you know, everybody says that, and I, you know, I didn't believe it at first either. I go, ah, oh, this is all. But then you look at Dana Bourgeois, Martin Guitars, a lot of big companies now are doing this, and they're getting big dollars for their guitars. No kidding. Yeah, so it's in a, you try, I'm serious. Go try a guitar that has the top. It's called Torrified, a Torrified top guitar. Sit it down next to another guitar that's just regular spruce and play them. And you, you won't believe your ears. You'll go, oh, that's crazy. How about that? Greg, I thank you very much. I really appreciate you talking to us. Thank you so much. Okay, you're welcome. All right. Friends on a Saturday.